Oh, Father, you're so good. We just love you, God. You're such a good Father. We don't, you know, we're not even friends of God. We are sons of God. Oh, Father, you call us sons, your very own, made in your image, in your likeness, with your breath and your spirit in us. What a place of privilege. What a place of love. Oh, so you, I thank you, God. I just thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for your spirit. Holy Spirit, we want to give you your place. We want to honor you because you are not just in us, with us, upon us. Lord, you just uh, chose, you just chose to, to dwell in us, Holy Spirit. And we thank you. And this morning we want to give you your place and ask you to give us revelation, to give us understanding. Uh, uh, and, and I ask you, Holy Spirit, to help me to minister and to teach this morning with all clarity and with all simplicity that even a child can understand. And Lord, I just thank you. I just yield myself like a, the, the pen of a ready writer, Father, that you would write your word upon our heart. So Lord, I just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'd like to do something maybe a little unusual. If we could just pray to all together uh, in the spirit for just a few minutes, would that be okay? And for those of you who maybe are not filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, just worship God. Just talk to God. Tell Him you love Him. Amen. Would that be okay to do that for five minutes? I'm trying to get the... the Oh, shut up. I'm just trying to settle something here in, in the spirit. Amen. Educashara, unda carabada da ki gele vene mando tore, prope, prake, ishtele cando, proke, eshe ketano o secande, lorikin masse kere bate core, lina masse kende bare vishi kande, cor estara daca eche ne miste resta, cora ace, cora ace, cora ace, kira bando loke stare, kira aste candoro. Karara castere, karara castere, karara castere, io sondere, io ando paravahashe, kide atabrafe, kide ikondare, kedore, kijate, kestande, kichoro, osata ta castere de castara, ika talemane, ike echalavana ase, kije e kararaka ase, ikene menenaka aso, ikene menena asando, kori atala brave, enja talabase kede, o vrafa fa 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 kide koro. Voce, he can a maha seke tande, he coravaha seke tando, o seke echarada hasete, he ke endalavaha tarabaha sende, he ke charabaha senge, he ke talabaro ho sande, he ka acherede, he ke bonama asere, inge echorobo o seke charaba asinde, kida ale echere iste de kando, kori ike charaba astere, lore candere de ki echore, londe iketo, londe iketo, londe. 
Londe ikatale bre endale vishti kende. Lord, I thank you for clarity. I thank you for clarity. Oh, le nama sekia otare. Profaka nema astende. Laramane ne katere karere. Oh, le kare. That your path, your will, your plan is clear as the light. Alamane kandololo kashtere. Oh, le nana nakashe. Light of the day, Father. Ha le mano no koshare. Oria achere ki eshere. Mane e katarada Mane e katarada yese. Yase, yase, yase. Kechara ase. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. You know, as sons of God, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, one of your privileges that you no longer are a friend, even though we are friends, but we are sons. And what it means, you know, this is the picture that I get. You know, how many of you have little children? You have children. And you know, uh, if it gets, there is storm outside and there is thunder, you know, and it gets a little kind of scary, what will your children do? Your children will run into your bedroom and jump in bed between you and mommy. That's the privilege of a son. A place of safety, of security, of blessedness. But you know, a friend could not do that. Doesn't matter how good a friend you are, your friend is not going to jump in bed with you between your wife and uh, husband and wife. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? But a son can do that. And that's because you see, God, this is the beauty of our new covenant is that no, you are no longer a servant, you are no longer a friend, you are a son. This is the, and why did God choose to do that? Because God, from the beginning of time, when he, he created Adam and Eve, Eve, he created them to be as close to his heart as possible. He wanted man to be close to him, to walk with him, to fellowship. And in order today to do that, we've got to not only know, but receive that adoption, understand that who we are. You're not just a friend. You're not just a servant. Even though we are called to serve God, we are called or drafted into the family business. You know, father and son. You know what I'm talking about, father and son. But it's a place of favor. It's a place of blessedness, the place of, of privilege. And we understand that. And that's how we have to learn to see ourselves. Not as a servant. Because you see, what is the servant mentality? Well, the master will be pleased when I do everything right. In other truth, that's what a servant thinks like. He never, and what he does, he does it under obligation. Come on now. Whatever he does, he does it because that's what I have to do. And, and there, is, it, it, there is a fear and an obligation that the, the servant has, but not the son. It's a total different dynamic. And we've got to stop seeing ourselves as servants, even though we are called to serve. But we've got to serve as knowing who we are, sons of Almighty God. And we are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. You couldn't go closer than that. I mean, come on now. But yet most of you, you see yourself crouching, you know, kneeling down under the throne. And if God was there, he would 
take your hand, lift you up, and say, rise up. I've made you worthy to sit at my right hand. And it's not arrogance. Mm -mm. It's not arrogance. It's not pride. It's only understanding that position that the Father has given to us. Amen. And so we've got, in order to do what Jesus did, and you know that God has called us to do the same work that he did, but you can only do the works that Jesus did if you see yourself like Jesus saw himself. He saw himself as a son because he was a son and he knew he was. And he did what he did knowing who he was, knowing what God the Father had given to him. And you'll never, never do the same work of Jesus if you see anything, yourself anything other than a son. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Father, I thank you. I thank you for revelation knowledge. Yes, Father. Yes, yes, yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Hallelujah. So go with me, if you don't mind, to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, verse 5 and 6. I seem that I'm, you know, sometimes I don't know what I'm going to minister on until I get behind the pulpit. I'm telling you the truth. And sometimes I have to probe in my spirit to find out where is the flow, where is the vein where God wants me to go. So I, I feel like I'm hitting something here that I'm something I'm just kind of flowing in. So I'm going to, if that's okay with you, I'm going to go in that flow. Is that Okay. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6 says that having predestined us unto the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted or highly favored in the beloved. You notice here it says that he has predestined us to the adoption. Now let's go in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6 is God sent his son, and then it said that we may receive the adoption as sons. I want you to notice something here. He said that Jesus was sent, why? So that we may receive something. Receive the adoption. You know what that means? That tells me. That God has given us the adoption, but we've got to receive it. Unfortunately, not every Christian today has received the adoption. Come on. You know, I can give you my iPad or my diamond ring, but unless you receive it, it's still going to be in my hand. Come on now. You know what I mean. And so God says he sent his son that we may receive the adoption as son. That means you've got something we've got to do. We've got to get a hold of it. Amen. And he said, because you are sons, 
God sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart crying out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. You know, that's what little children in, in Israel, when they call Daddy, they said, Abba, Abba. That means Daddy, Daddy. You know, little children, they don't say, Oh, Father, Oh, Father. <laughs> when they're the little children, Hebrew children, they don't call Father. They say, Daddy, Daddy, Papa, Papa, Daddy, Abba, Father. Amen. He said that we may enter our heart crying out, Daddy, Daddy. Therefore, you are no more a servant but a son. And we just saw that being a servant is somebody that, that is always conscious of their sins, always conscious of what they should have done and didn't do, what they did and, couldn't, and, and shouldn't have done. Amen. A servant can only please the master when he's done everything right, and a servant does what he does with a sense of fear or obligation. And that's the majority, I hate to say it, of Christian today. And even the truth is, it doesn't matter how much you hear about grace, it's something you it's not something you are taught, it's something you've got to that is being caught. It's a, it, you receive it by revelation. Do you understand? To understand and receive your adoption. To know that you are no longer a servant that's got to have all these little ducks in a row, but you are a son. Hallelujah. Therefore, that means that we're going to have a little explaining to do. It means that we're going to have to understand what it really means to receive the adoption. Because here is the key. You know, as I travel around the world, I notice, I notice somehow that the body of Christ, the majority in the body of Christ, are powerless. There is no power. There is no supernatural. There is no miracle. There, there is no victory. I mean, I'm going the majority of the church and said, who needs healing? 80% of the people, you understand that now, I'm not, I'm not putting any condemnation on anybody, but it shows the state of the church. That why? Because somewhere we haven't been taught the right thing. And what, why is it that there is no power, no supernatural, no victory in the body of Christ? It's because this, this generation of Christian is trying to walk in a New Testament truth using Old Testament methods. It's like this. You just bought a brand new computer, 2014, you know, model. You open the box. You're like, oh, man, and that computer is like power-packed. I mean, it can do things you can't even imagine. But what would happen if you went back into your, uh, uh, into your garage and pulled out the manual dated 1965 or 1970? And you said, okay, I'm going to learn everything about this computer. And you use a whole manual. Of, uh, to, you understand what I'm saying? How much are you going to get out of that computer? How much are you going to be able to do? And how many of you know you're going to get confused? That's what's happening in the body of Christ. Many Christians are confused, are being beat up by the devil, walking under their privilege.
church under the position of sons because they're still trying to use a new covenant machine using Old Testament manual. So that means you've got to understand what is your New Testament manual. Come on. And so that means that we've got to understand what it means to receive the adoption as sons. Are you with me this morning? What does ha? Huh, what do I need to do to receive that, that adoption as a son and start seeing myself not as a servant, not just as a friend, but as a son? Because it means so much more than what we think right here. You see, when you think of adoption, what do you think about? I mean, I travel around the world, I minister in orphanages, and you know you have people, when we think of adoption, we think about a family that, you know, a little child that has been rejected, abandoned, you know, thrown into the street. And then there is a couple that, you know, you know, good couple that means that just want to take and adopt that little child into the family. That is the Western mindset about adoption. Am I saying the truth? But you see, you understand the Bible is an Eastern book. And when we talk about adoption, you've got to read about adoption with the Eastern mindset, a Jewish mindset. And adoption means something totally different in the Jewish culture. Have you ever heard the term bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah? Bart for a boy, bat, B-A-T, mitzvah for a girl. And this is what adoption actually means in the Jewish culture. It means the placing of a son or of a child in a position, hallelujah, in a position of favor, in a position, I might have said something wrong or something, <laughs> hallelujah, in a position of favor, of trust, of responsibility. The word adoption is the word huiotesia. Huiotesia. It means the placing of a son in a position of favor, of trust, and responsibility. The placing of a son in the position of favor, of trust, and responsibility. And when a child in the Jewish culture received the bar mitzvah, and you know today, even to this day, the bar mitzvah, it's a big thing. It's almost like a wedding. I mean, I've met Jewish people. I mean, they've spent thousands of dollars just to do the bar mitzvah. You know what I mean? What do they do? They bring the child. They, they, they invite the family, the friends. They have a huge ceremony, and they say, today, my child, you are a son. And what it meant for a Jewish person, it meant that they now had the right, the privilege to open the scripture and read the scriptures in public. They had now, they were endowed into a place of accountability, accountable for their own behavior. They were no longer, the, it, it was no longer the parents responsible or accountable before God for the child's behavior. Hallelujah. And they were personally at that moment responsible to walk according to the scriptures. These were the placing of a son into a position of favor, of trust and accountability. Hallelujah. We know that Jesus received the adoption. Now, think about it. You remember when he was 12 years old? What happened to him? They went to Jerusalem. 
correct? They went to Jerusalem, and then after Jesus received, really, I believe he received the bar mitzvah at 12 years old, because when the family left to go back to Nazareth, Mary said, hey, Joseph, is uh, Jesus with you? Uh, no, I thought he was with you. They went and looked everywhere to, around to look for him. Where was Jesus? They had to go back to Jerusalem, and where did they find him? In the temple, discussing the scriptures with the rabbi and the, the doctors of, of in the temple. And they, and they said that they, he answered their question, and they answered his question, and they were amazed at his wisdom. And when Mary said, Jesus, why did you do this to us? He said, Mother, didn't you know I had to go about my father's business? At that moment, Jesus became aware that he'd been entrusted with the scripture. He became aware that he entered into a place of responsibility, trust, and favor. But of course, we know that that was not God's timetable. That was human timetable. But when did, the, did he really receive the father's adoption? At the age of 30. What happened? At the age of 30, he went into the Jordan River. The heavens opened up, amen, and the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus left the, the, the Jordan River, and then he was endowed with power, and he went everywhere doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him, Acts 10, 38. That was that moment that Jesus received the heavenly divine adoption from the Father. But you know what is the good news? The Father spoke from heaven and said and declared over Jesus, This is my beloved Son. But the day where you were born again, the day you were born again, the Father proclaimed and declared the same thing over you and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son. And you understand that son means much more than it's not a male-female issue. You understand? When he talks about son, it's like, just like he said he, he, he created man. He's talking about mankind, men and women. You understand? And so when he says to receive the adoption as a son, son is not talking about gender. It's talking about a position. A position of favor. And you know, we have been placed, when you, you get born again, you can choose to receive the same adoption. You can choose to hear the Father say, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hallelujah. Because Jesus, listen to what Jesus said in John 3.35. He said, the Father loves the son and he's put everything in his power. That's what Jesus said. In John 5, 20, Jesus said, the father loves the son and he shows him everything he's doing. You see, that shows the favor, the trust that the father is put into Jesus. But of course, people say, well, yeah, but that was Jesus. That was Jesus. He was kind of, you know, but listen to what Jesus said. You ready? John 16, 27. He said, the Father loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. What Jesus is saying, the same love, the same trust, the same responsibility, the same favor that the Father has put over me and in me is put over you and in you. 
the Father loves you because you just, not because you're good, not because you deserve it, not because you do everything right. The, you, you, the, that, that love and that, that adoption, you receive it because you love Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So what does this mean to receive the adoption? What does this mean? Amen. It means that you are no longer children, but sons of God in Christ. And what is the difference between being a child and being a son? Go with me, if you don't mind, to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Hallelujah. From verse 23 through 26, it says, Before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer a tutor. We are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. Now look in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he's master of all. But he's under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. And even so, we, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time has come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Daddy, Daddy, Abba, Father. Therefore, you no longer are a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir of God through Christ. Now, you understand here that God is not talking about spiritual maturity. That's what when people think about a child versus a son, they're thinking about spiritual maturity. Mm -mm. Look at the context. Look at the context. What is he? Do you see here there is a parallel? That Paul is giving us a parallel here. He's equating children as slaves. Slave to what? Slave to the law. And they compared here, Paul compares the law to a tutor. And his, you understand? And when he talks here about a son, he, makes a, uh, he talks about a son that is freed from the law. Yes? So what is the difference? You look at the context here. It's making a, a, a contrast. It shows that a, a child is a child if he still is under the law. And a son becomes a son when he no longer puts himself under the law, but he's freed from the law and now walks under grace. We have always thought about being a child versus a son being mature in God. I've read my Bible 25 times. Oh, I've been in church for 25 years. 
that, that is not what Paul here is talking about. The contrast that he's making is calling a child one who is still walking under the law. In contrast to a son who understands his position, who is no longer under the law. Please stay connected with me this morning. I'm feeling here in the spirit, some of you are kind of going, disconnecting a little bit. If you follow and you stay hooked up, you might understand a couple of things this morning. Are you with me? Hallelujah. And we see here that Paul is making that contrast. He says, if you receive the adoption, that means that you are no longer a child subject and and slave to the law or in bondage to the law. But to be a son means that you understand that you are not placed in a position of favor, of trust and responsibility and mean that you are no longer under the law. Hallelujah. And you see that God... In the Old Testament, God couldn't do that. He tried to. I mean, that's what he did under, you know, in Genesis, the first 2,400 years from Genesis to Exodus, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had a relationship with God and were not under the law. You, you remember 1 Corinthians, you know, tells us that God did not impute sin to them. They were not under the law, but yet they had a relationship with God. And they were in a place, in a position of favor, of trust and responsibility. And from Exodus to Malachi, God, that's what he wanted to do, but he couldn't. Because their heart was hardened. Because they had a slave mentality. They had come out of Egypt, but Egypt had not come out of them. They had a slave mentality, and God could not reach them and and, and deal with them like he dealt with Abraham. They had that mentality of tell me what to do and I'm going to do a good job. All you tell us to do, we're going to do. And God said, sorry, I can't, I, I can't deal with you like I dealt with Abraham. And he had to show them, bring them the law. But today, God, you see, has given us a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, that he's put a new heart in us. He's given us a new spirit. So now we have a new heart. We have a new spirit. And now God can deal with us like he dealt with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you understand? We've got a new heart. Now let me show you in a practical way what it means. Why God is now dealing with us. You see, the law, eh, 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 Paul calls someone under the law, he compares it to a child. Why? Because how do you deal with a child that doesn't understand? If you have a five-year-old or four-year-old little child, how do you motivate him? How do you deal with him? Okay, brush your teeth before you go to bed. Do you hear me? If you brush your teeth... Mommy will give you, will let you watch your, pre- your favorite cartoons. Amen? Or better, brush your teeth. Because if you don't brush your teeth, do you see that? Mommy will lay hands on you, give you a spanking. <laughs> That's how you, dealt with, you deal with a little child. How the system of reward and punishment. Does it look familiar? If you obey my commandments, the blessing will come upon you. If you disobey my commandment, punishment will come upon you. 
You see, God had to deal with them like little children. Because their heart, they had, they, they had a mentality of slave. Their heart was hardened. But what would happen if that little child now becomes 30, 40 years old? And he goes, you know, before he goes to bed, he says, I better brush my teeth. Because if I don't brush my teeth, I'm going to get a spanking. You look at that child, you see, what's wrong with him? You look at that adult. You understand? No longer does an adult... You know, as a, an adult, you're a parent. That adult will do what he does, brush his teeth. He won't cross the street. He'll do what is right, not because he's afraid of mommy spanking or because he's wanting to, see, to watch his favorite cartoon, but he does what he does. Why? With a sense of responsibility. I'm going to brush my teeth. Why? Because I understand that's good for me. You understand what I mean? An adult no longer has that mentality of, if I do this, mommy's going to be angry with me. If I don't do that, oh, uh, mommy's going to give me a lollipop. An adult does not relate to his parents in this way anymore. And parents will not relate to their children in this way anymore when they grow up. Are you with me this morning? But you see, that's the difference. Under the law, God treated them like little children. The system of reward and the punishment motivated by, you know, fear and by a sense of obligation. But under this new covenant now, when you receive the adoption, you no longer see yourself slave like a child or like a slave relating to your parents with that fear or sense of obligation. No, no, no. Now you relate to your parents and you know your parents relate to you uh, with a, a sense of favor, of trust and responsibility. I mean, if you are a parent and you have a child who is 30 years old, even if you know he's not doing the right thing, will you think I'm going to give him a spanking? He's 30 years old, 40 years old. That's over. We've got to get it anchored into our heart that God no longer deals with us like little kids. That Father God is going to say, uh, you haven't gone to church, you haven't done this, you haven't paid your tithe. Yeah, what Daddy God is going to do something to you. No, Daddy God is saying, you... You should pay your tithe because that's one avenue. I can bless you and I want to be able to. You can release your faith that way and I can bless you. But you stupid. You understand what I'm saying? But daddy God is not going to go and, you know, give you a spanking in that way, a physical punishment. Or try to, You see, when you receive the adoption as a son, all of a sudden, you must understand that you don't relate to your heavenly parents like you did as a child. And you know that your heavenly parent doesn't relate to you like he did when you were a child. Under the law. There is a separation. And that's what Paul, through the epistle, constantly reinforced to that we may receive the adoption. You are no longer children, now you are son. So start seeing yourself like a son. Hallelujah. You see, now, as a son, we are free. Just like as an adult, 
you are free to make your own decision. And your daddy, your mommy are not going to interfere. Oh, they shouldn't. Some, some earthly parents haven't got a hold of that yet. Do you understand? As an adult, you are now free to make your own decision. You are walking in a certain amount of freedom. And that is the same. Look at with me to 2 Corinthians 3.17. Second Corinthians three seventeen, Hallelujah. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Hallelujah. So we know that as sons, we are free to make your own decision, free to make your own choices. Free to choose which way you're going to go, what you're going to do. That is the privilege of being a son. Like it is a privilege of being an adult versus being a child. Do you understand? But listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5 verse 13 and 14. Galatians 5 verse 13 and 14. For you brothers have been called to liberty. Only do not use that liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor of yourself. You know what he's saying? That now as a son, when you receive the adoption and you start seeing yourself as a son, you understand that you are now in a realm of liberty. You are free to make your own decision, but he says don't use that liberty the wrong way. Just like if you're an adult, come on, and you know now, man, mommy is not there to watch what I do. So, uh, 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 you know, mommy said you better brush your teeth before you're going to bed. Now you're an adult, you're like, man, I mean, I'm not going to brush my teeth. Because <laughs> mommy knows that. How many of you know that that's stupidity? That's what Paul says. You are free. Yeah, you are free not to brush your teeth every night. You are free to cross the street without watching. You are free to party, to gamble, to do anything. But use your brain. Don't use it, that liberty, as an opportunity for the flesh. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. You understand again, I'll reinforce it. To receive the adoption means you are placed in a position of favor where God has given you everything. A position of trust where he trusts you to make the, your, your, the right decision. But it's a position of responsibility where now you are responsible for your own actions and your own choices. It's a position of favor, trust and responsibility. So what does 1 Corinthians 6.12 say? 1 Corinthians 6.12. <laughs> All things are permissible. Everybody goes, yeah, everything is permissible. But uh -huh, I will not be brought under the power of anything. What Paul is saying is that, guys, you are sons of God. 
endowed with favor, trust, and responsibility. You know you dwell in a realm of liberty. All things are permissible, but understand that whatever choice you make, whatever decision you take, there is a consequence because it has the potential to bring you un again under bondage. Uh-huh, come on now. 1 Corinthians 10, 23. 1 Corinthians 10, 23. 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Maestro. All things are lawful, meaning all things are permissible, but not all things edify. Not all things are helpful. You know what I mean? That means exactly what I just said. Yeah, you are free not to brush your teeth. You are free to do the stupidest thing you want to. But let me tell you, that's not going to help you. That's going to work against you. That's not going to edify you. That's not going to help you. That's what Paul is saying. He said, now that you are sons, you understand that you are free to make your own choices, but you use your brain, understanding, yeah, I am free, but I'm going to choose my freedom wisely, doing what is good. Doing what will edify me. Doing what will be uh, helpful to me and others. And I certainly will not do anything that will bring me back again under bondage. Under the bondage of sin. Because that's what Paul says. Don't you know that you, whomever you obey, you become slave to obey? Whether to sin unto death or to righteousness. You understand? That is a son who understands his responsibility. He said, yeah, I'm free. God the Father has given me all things. The Father is like Jesus. He's put, he shows me all things to do. Gives me all power, all favor, all blessings. He endows me with, he trusts me with everything. But I understand that I'm a son. I am in the family business, father and son. And as a son, I'm going to act wisely. And the choices that I make, I will going to make them on the basis of, is it helpful? Will it edify? Will it bring reproach to my father? Amen. That is a son that, that, that is wise. And that's what we've been called into. So you see, someone who is a son understands, yeah, I am free, but I have a realm of responsibility also. Do you understand? Because look at it. I've heard and seen people that say, you know, and that's why the grace message sometimes gets a lot of, you know, persecution. Because you have those that will say, oh, I am free. Come on, let's do. Oh, yeah. And I've, I've met people that said, I'm free. Therefore, gosh, I'm going to divorce my, my mate. I'm going to get a new one. I'm not under the law. I'm free, but how many of you know that, that's, that, that that is unwise? Oh, I'm free. I'm free. Well, I mean that I can just do whatever I, I want. I'm going to party, drink, smoke, do anything. I'm not under the law. That's an unwise son that doesn't understand his place of trust and responsibility. It's like a little child that says, Ha-ha, mommy's not home. I'm going to stay up all night. We're going to watch movies all night and eat ice cream and eat candy all night. Mommy's not here. 
Oh, daddy's not here. Do you see? That's the mentality of a child. That's why some people have heard the grace message, but they're still thinking like a child. They have not received the adoption. Because the son understands, yeah, I'm free. But I'm also responsible. I'm free. Yeah. But I'm wise. Oh, hallelujah. I hope you get that. I hope you get a hold of this. Now, why is that? Why is that? Why? Because the law, and I know Brother Pastor Larry is taught probably on it in depth, probably better than I ever did. But you understand why that the law, God chose to liberate us from the law. Why God chose to give us the adoption as son that we are no longer under the law. Why? Because the Bible tells us that the law brings a curse, a curse and the law brings wrath. Galatians 3 verse 10 and 11. Galatians 3 verse 10 and 11. You see, as long as you are under the law, you are under a curse. As long as you are under the law, you will experience wrath. Romans 4.15, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it's written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law. You see, the law is good. The law is perfect. And it's so perfect that nobody can fulfill it. So because nobody could fulfill it, there was automatically a curse. Because James says, if you break one little thing of the law, you break the whole law. Amen. Yes, the law is good. The law is perfect. But it's so perfect that we cannot fulfill it. It's impossible. Only in Christ. Christ was the only one who could fulfill it. And when you are in Christ, you end up fulfilling it. Without trying it. You understand what I'm saying? Romans 4.15. Romans 4.15. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. So God chose to liberate us from the law, to, 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 to free us from the law, because he did not want us to live under condemnation, under wrath. Amen. The law brings death and condemnation. We know that. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 9 through 11. For Listen to this. It says, if the ministry of condemnation, and he's talking about the law. He calls the law the ministry of condemnation. Why? Because the law is so perfect, you cannot fulfill it. Therefore, because you cannot fulfill it, you end up being condemned and feeling condemned. You know what I mean? So he said, if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceed much more in glory. Verse 11, for if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Hallelujah. Verse 7 said, it calls the law the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones. It's talking about the Ten Commandments. And of course you and I, because there are some that want to hold on to the Ten Commandments. 
And they said, oh, I've got to hold on to the Ten Commandments. Here he calls it the ministry of death. No wonder why God says, I have got to free them from that. Because as, as long as we put ourselves under the law, we will experience death, wrath, curse, condemnation. How many here want some of that? And do you know that we think about the law, we think about the Ten Commandments, but there are hundreds of commandments, you know, like what you wear. If you have a mole on your face, if you are eye-crossed, or if you have, you know, uh, uh, if you wear textile that is mixed, you broke the law. Anybody wants to walk under the law this morning? Every one of us in this room, under those, that's, that standard, we've broken, we, we break the law. All of us this morning are lawbreakers. Shame on me. <laughs> Just kidding. No wonder God says, I've got to free them from the law. Because as long as they choose, choose to be under the law, they go, my children will experience death, condemnation, wrath, judgment. Because it's impossible to fulfill the law. Are you with me this morning? And so what was the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law was to bring us to Christ. To show you, stop trying to be holy. Stop trying to be righteous on your own. Because you can't. But let me show you somebody who can. If you put your faith in Jesus, you'll be holy. If you put your faith in Jesus, you'll be perfect. You'll be righteous. The purpose of the law was never meant to help us walk right. The purpose of the law was never to help us to be righteous. The purpose of the law was to lead us to Christ. That's the reason when you look in the book of Exodus, right after he gives in Exodus, he gives the law. Right after he said, and you will build me an altar and bring me sacrifices on that, on, on that altar, and there I will bless you, bless you. You know what God was saying? I'm giving you the law, knowing it will be impossible for you to keep it, but it will, it will train you to bring sacrifices. It will train you to bring an offering, which is a picture of Christ. And they put their faith, they, God wanted them to put their faith in the offering. Not the law. But remember what happened. Instead of putting their faith in the offering, they put their faith in the law. Do you, do you see what I mean? And everything was to point us to Christ. The law was to lead us to Christ. To show that one day I can do it by my own. I can never be perfect. You know, I, I love that illustration that Andrew Wama gives. He said, you know, it'd be like this ceiling. You know, it'd be like the law, the standard of the law is so high, so perfect. It would be like, okay, we raise the bar. If you can touch this ceiling with your head, then you'll be righteous. How many of you know that some of us can jump higher than others? Some of you will go, Michael Jordan might get a little higher. But how many of you know that nobody, not even Michael Jordan, will be able to touch the ceiling with their head? Do you understand? And so that's why the law, the law did. The law was not to help us to walk straight and right. The law was to show us you can never be righteous on your own. You're going to need a Savior. And I'm going to need you to put your faith in the Savior.
Hallelujah. And so now, our foundation in this new covenant should never be on the law, a set of rules of do's and don'ts, but our total faith should be in Christ. That's where the law pointed to, and now that's where we need to put our faith, is in total in Christ. Hallelujah. Now, why did God choose to do it this way? Because now, great. Now, what is grace? We say that now we no longer are under the law, but we are under grace. And Romans 6, 7 says that we no longer walk under the oldness of the letter that kills, but under the newness of the spirit, which is under grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor and love. What does it mean? It's God's favor and love that you don't merit, you don't deserve. There's nothing you can do to obtain it. Amen. It is his generosity towards you. It's God's nature towards you, his heart towards you that says, oh man, I just want to bless you. You remember Enoch? Enoch, in, 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 it says that in Hebrew 11, he said Enoch had that testimony that he pleased God. For he who has faith must believe that God is and he is a rewarder. You know what happened? Enoch went around saying, man, I know God is pleased with me. God loves me because every time I came close to him, bam, he blesses me. Bam, he rewards me. That was his, his faith. His faith was not in himself, but on the goodness of God. A God who is not full of wrath. A God who looks for ways to bless you. A God that looks for ways to help you. That God, that's the nature, the heart of God. And that's what Enoch had such a revelation of how pleased and how much God loved him that God said, I've got to have that guy with me. I've got to have him. And God took him. And Enoch wanted to be with God. He said, man, I've got to be with a God like that. So his faith, thank God, I want to be with you. I want to be with you so much, God. I don't want to leave you. And God said, I've got to honor his faith. Bam, he took him. You know what I'm talking about? We have got to change that perception of God the Father, who is a parent that is dealing with us like little kids. No, no, we've got to see as a good father that trusts us that gives us the freedom to make and choose right. And that is there not to punish us, but is there to help us, to empower us, to bless us. That's the heart of the Father. Hallelujah. That's grace. And His grace is also His divine ability to do what we could not do by ourselves. The power of God flowing through us to do what you could not do by yourself. Amen. That's the grace of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And why did God choose us to do it this way? Why did God choose to give us the adoption, to place us in a position of favor, of trust and, and responsibility? Why did God choose to do it this way? And said, why didn't he keep on doing the old way like he dealt with the Jew? Why? Because God wants much, much more than your obedience. You see, you can make a dog obey. Sit, stand, run, catch. You can make a dog obey. And Jesus even accused the Pharisees because, men they were master of obedience. They tithe to the penny. 
they did everything just right. They washed their hands. They did everything. I mean, they looked like they obeyed. But Jesus, what did Jesus say? You bunch of hypocrites. You worship me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. You see, God chose to do it this way, to trust us. You see, that's a sign of love. Love says, I'm going to trust you to choose me. I'm going to trust you to make the right decision. I'm going to trust you with your life. I'm going to trust you with everything. I'm going to bless you. Not even if you don't love me, I'm going to bless you. Why did God choose to do it this way? Because God wants much more than our obedience. God wants our heart. He wants a, a, a behavior that is motivated by love. He wants actions that are motivated by, by love and honor by, from the heart. He wants us to live a, a life from the heart. He doesn't want little puppets that do everything right. No, he wants sons with whom he can have a relationship that will choose to love him. Hallelujah. I love that Psalms 51. Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17. Yeah, I love David because here is a man who was under the law, but yet he walked in a measure of grace. He had a revelation of grace. Amen. David had a revelation, and even though he was under the law, he had a revelation of grace. Don't disconnect this morning yet. Can you give me another five minutes? Raise fi your hand if you can give me five minutes. 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45. Gotcha. Just kidding. Hallelujah. Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17 says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would have given it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. Or you could say, you do not delight of acts, simple, just acts of obedience. And that will throw most people off. Because we've been taught, man, it's all about obedience. Uh -uh. It's obedience done from a willing heart. The heart has everything to do with it. Because how I many have you ever seen a little kid, you know, you can make it sit down and he goes, okay, I'm going to sit on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. <laughs> and there are many Christians like that, man. They are, they are sitting on the outside, but on the inside, buddy, they are standing with everything. <laughs> God is not pleased with that. You understand what I mean? God wants whatever you do. That's why I appreciate Pastor Larry that says you give as you purpose in your heart. Because 1 Corinthians 13 says you can give everything you've got to the poor. You can give even your body to be burned. But if you don't do it, motivated by love, it profits you nothing. I can say this in this church, but I guarantee you I cannot say that in every church. Because I'll be thrown out of some church. Do you understand what I mean? Hallelujah. Glory to God. But the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. And it's not talking about a, a heart full of sorrow. It's talking about a heart that is pliable under the hand of God. It's like David here was making a reference. You know, David was a man of war. 
and every time he, he trained his horses and he picked his horse to go to battle, it was a, 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 a horse that would at just the little kick or a little nudge of the hand, the horse would move, would be one with the, the master. That's what he was looking for a horse. And so when he makes a reference to a broken heart, he makes the reference of like a horse that has been broken, whose will has been broken. It's a horse that is one with the master. That's what God is looking. He's looking for a heart, contrite heart that says, God, I'll do whatever it is. Not my will, but your will be done. Amen. That's what God is wanting. It's a, it, it, it's a heart. Why? Because love is a greater motivator than fear. You see, fear will, will make you do certain things, but sooner or later, bam, as soon as you have an, an opportunity, you'll stop. But love will take you far, far, far further. Amen. Love will motivate you. You know, I do the things that I do for my husband, not because I'm afraid of him, but because I know he loves me. And because he loves me, man, it motivates me to cook him some little French, French dish, to bake him some cakes, to do all kind of nice little things for him. It's motivating. Now, think about it because, you see, we've got that picture. Glory to God. We've got that picture of, you know, you always have the religious legalistic people that said, oh, Sister Audrey, you've got to serve God with fear and trembling. <laughs> Let me show you something. Can I show you something? Jeremiah 33 verse 9. You see, we can love God, do what we do motivated by love because God has first loved us. And because we understand he first loves us, that motivates us just to do even more than what he asks. He asks us for one mile, men will run two miles. He asks us to jump five feet, we'll jump ten feet. Amen. Jeremiah 33 verse 9. Shatataravaha sendedede. 33 verse 9. Then it shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and an honor before all nations of the earth, who shall hear of all the good that I do to them, and they shall feel and tremble for all the goodness and all the prosperity that I provide for it. I am telling you, there is a fear and trembling that comes because you realize, man, God loves me so much. He wants to bless me so much. It fills you with a sense of honor. It fills you with a sense of love. It fills you with a sense of, oh, I can't even, awesomeness that says, I'm in fear and trembling to see how much good God wants to do. I mean, think about it. The maker of the universe. And we know the universe is huge. They haven't even discovered the end of the universe yet. They keep on discovering all bunch of galaxies with billions of stars. And the maker of that universe just choose to love us, bless us, and call us his sons. That fills you with a sense of fear. And you know the fear he's talking about is reverence, honor. That's the kind of fear that Jesus is talking about. Think about it. Come on now. How many of you ladies have been married, walked down the aisle? Anybody? 
just go back a little. For you, some of you, it'll be just a few years. For some of you, it'll be a little further. <laughs> Think and remember the days before you prepared to walk down the aisle. Didn't you think, man, I want to look good. I want to walk and be as beautiful as I can. I want to be a bride without spot or wrinkle. I want to adorn myself with jewelry. I want to look good. And you did that, why? Because you were fearing and trembling. What motivated you, ladies, to be a bride adorned with that spot or wrinkle? The love for your beloved, the love for your husband is what motivated you to be a bride with that spot or wrinkle. And how many of you know that as the church, we are called the bride? And this bride wants to be with that spot or wrinkle, not out of a sense of fear of the wrath of God, but with a sense of love and honor, knowing that one day we're going to be walking down the aisle to meet our bridegroom. That's what motivates us when you, you understand what I mean. It's what gives you a, a motivation to walk holy as he is holy. It's what gives you a motivation to separate yourself, to keep yourself from the contamination, the pollution, and the way of thinking of the world. You want to keep yourself with that spot of wrinkle. Not a, with a sense of fear, but with a sense of awe and, and, and gratitude and, and a sense of, of honor and love for God. That's what God is looking for. That's why God chose to do what he did the way he did. That's what he's after. Your love. Oh, come on now. And of course, you know, they always say that, say, well, you know, grace, grace, grace is going to give people a license to sin. Well, it, you know, like I, I, I was talking to Pastor Kathy yesterday and I said, all grace will do is reveal what's really in your heart. If there is, you know, because I meet some so-called grace preacher that are slothful, that are lazy, Come on, that will say, well, I'm under grace, sister. I'm not under the law, so I'm just going to, I never prepare for what I, I, I never, pr um, I don't spend that much time. And they spend their time golfing all the time. They spend their time doing whatever they want to do. That's not the mentality of a son. That's not a sense of responsibility. Because when you see, all grace does is expose what's in your heart. And if there is laziness in your heart, if there is a lack of integrity in your heart, if there is a lack of, of, of love in your heart, bam, it will expose it. And you are going to act like a little child. I'm not under, mommy is not home, so I'll do whatever I want. Another truth, but once you understand who you are, that's why it's so important to know who you are. You're a son of God. And as a son of God, it empowers you it empowers you to walk with that sense of, of responsibility, of favor and trust. When you walk, you don't walk as a, no, you walk like an ambassador knowing who you are. The Father has given me all things, but he's put all things into my hand. He's made me responsible. He's trust me with everything. And it's like, you know, once you have that, 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 that perspective, you act different. You're self-governing. That's a different mentality than a slave. Yeah. 
A slave will be governed by somebody else. A son will be self-governed, self-motivated. Do you understand what I'm trying to get to this morning? I'm trying to get to, to it, it, it's a message that if you hear it, receive it, it'll empower you to do what Jesus has done, to walk as a son of God, no more as a powerless Christian, but you see yourself as a son, you start talking like a son, acting like a son, and you'll see that people will see the son in you. Amen. Hallelujah. I would like everybody to close their eyes this morning. Hallelujah. And really, it is sad that we have to teach this kind of message to the church because the law was really never meant for the Gentiles. We should not even have to preach this kind of message. The law was never meant for us Gentiles. Come on now. It was meant only for the Jews. But the problem is the church has been, has been preaching a polluted gospel. Mixing, it's a continuation of Judaism. It's Christ plus my good efforts. So this morning, I'm going to ask you. Oh, shetatamanamaha if you've been under a measure of, you know, of condemnation or, or unworthiness or anything that, and that you've seen yourself any other way but as a son, then I'd like to pray for you this morning. If you say, I see you this morning and I would like you to pray for me and I want to get totally rid of that feeling of condemnation or feel like I have to to perform or deserve anything or if it's you I'd just like to see your hand nobody's looking around hallelujah I see those hands hallelujah it's a time to be free you can only act as a son if you embrace that freedom anybody else hallelujah let's just pray together Let's actually, let's all pray together and we'll help our brothers and sisters not to make them feel like too lonely. Amen. Amen. Father God, just repeat after me. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you love me. And this morning, I choose to receive my adoption. To accept my adoption I am no longer a child under the law but I am a son endowed with freedom but I'm a son responsible free to make the right choices so this morning I leave, I, I command that spirit of condemnation to leave. That complex of inferiority, I command it to go. That sense of unworthiness, I denounce it and I deny it. 
and I accept my position by faith as a son who is loved, who is trusted, and who is responsible. In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, I ask you this morning to open my eyes, to give me wisdom and revelation that I may see who I am, that I may understand my adoption, that I may walk as a son. In the name of Jesus, in the days, weeks, and months that follow, I believe that you will give me greater revelation of who I am, of what I have, and what I can do in Christ. So I open my heart, and I'm ready to receive. In Jesus' name, I am free, and free indeed. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you for being so kind to me.